Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a blur with a love of artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production compared to its original source material and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year Red Bull was introduced to California. Oh, gosh. Is, oh, my gosh. Is Red Bull reach? Is that... It could be. It could be. It's had so much time. It's had almost 30 years to get through the market so who knows who knows i guess in that case we gotta thank um monster energy drinks celsius and uh mountain dew baja blast for fighting the good fight so we all (laughs) all get addicted to red bull hashtag not sponsored and hashtag please don't let any of the red bull girls who used to come by our college campuses to give us random red bulls come after me (laughs) (laughs) they're too late they mobilized an army (laughs) They mobilize in the Red Bull car. They're on the way. <laughs> they got wings. They got wings. <laughs> well, uh, speaking about Reach Soda, we're going to continue on with our uh, coverage of the Young Justice series. We are currently still in season two of Young Justice, Young Justice Invasion. We're going to be covering episodes 14 through 16 today with episodes Runaways, War, and Complications. Uh, Timing-wise, our episodes run from May 13th to May 28th, so there's a lot that happens in this, like, 15-day time period. Funny things, also around the same time period in which we're recording this episode right now. (laughs) We did it on purpose. (laughs) And because of the big battles and many of our heroes and villains, new and old, who are trying to find some sort of solace throughout these episodes, I feel like it's appropriate to call this one War and Peace. Mm, yes. Not to be confused with War and Peace, the oh. Sky High character. Yes, yes. Not Completely him. Not different him. guy. <laughs> also, if you not see Sky High yet, just stop what you're doing and just go watch that right now. It is peak cinema. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So first up, we have our cast list where the first person who I promise I will bring this full circle <laughs> with this entire thing. <laughs> Uh, first person we have is the voice actress Janice Kawaye, um, who is playing Asami, a.k.a. Sam uh, Kozumi, today. She is the one that had the spoilers for anybody who's a My Hero Academia fan who isn't caught up on the manga. Uh, she's the one that has powers very similar to Deku. I believe it is the sixth, uh, the sixth user of, all, of um, all for One. Oh, sorry, One for All. Uh, where they're able to project themselves forward through just by clapping their hands together. I think that is, it just reminded me very much of that. I am deep into the comic. Right I, I see. I, I was like, I don't even know what he's talking about over here. 
But yes, Janice is voicing uh, Sam today, but you also know Janice's voice as Yuzu Kurosaki in Bleach. Jenny Wakeman, a.k.a. XJ9 in Nickelodeon's My Life as a Teenage Robot. But most importantly, she's the non-singing voice from when they did an animated production of the J-pop stars Puffy and Ami in the show Hi Hi Puffy Ami Yumi. She voiced Ami. Um, and Puffy and Ami, you may know as the singers of the theme song for the 2004 Teen Titans series. Yep. All full circle, guys. All. <laughs> She also voiced Naya Naya in Teen Titans Trouble in Tokyo. So again, full. I'd be doing a double loop here. <laughs> uh, next up, we got Freddy Rodriguez, who, along with also appearing in Teen Titans himself as Mas Imenos, uh, so both in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. You might also remember his dual acting abilities when he voiced Fade and Tech in our Static Shock episode. Featuring the Nightbreed. Yes, Andrew, he's the one that needs yes. the fix. <laughs> yes, the Nightbreed returns. <laughs> yeah, so Freddy Rodriguez today will be voicing um, Eduardo Dorado Jr. Uh, this, I, I think it's just like code name will be discovered, I think, later on in the future. But just think of El Dorado and it'll be, you'll get it. Uh, wrapping it up, we got Bruce Greenwood, who is also providing Eduardo Dorado Sr.'s voicing. Uh, so Bruce Greenwood, as remember, is the Batman in our Young Justice series here. And finally, coming through like rolling thunder, we have actor Keith David, who is coming back to the DCAU. I think he has been to the DCAU a couple times already. But today he is voicing the truly larger than life warlord of war world Mongol. Yes. I mean, you hear this voice and you're like, yes, anybody he's trying to beat is going to die. Yeah. That's, that's just the power <laughs> of Keith David. Or he's about to fight Rick Sanchez. Either or. <laughs> All right. So now that our cast list is set and we got our stats about our upcoming episodes, let's Zeta Tube over to the beginning of Runaways. So right away, uh, we see that static Virgil is harnessing his powers. He's in a, a lab along with the rest of the test subjects. And they've been working hard, hours and hours at a time, working and drilling these techniques. So much so that um, another one of the kids there, who looks like Spike from Cowboy Bebop, is mad at his science dad oh, for... Damn, yeah. <laughs> who works at the facility <laughs> that blew your mind yeah it did I, I i as soon as you said it i just i just put two of them together <laughs> <laughs> yeah that can't be a coincidence the design is just too too good um but he ran away to be with his dad he ran away from home to be with his dad at the science lab and that's when he got snatched by the reach unfortunately so he's even more uh, angry at this so to the point where after we have some of these introductory scenes, Virgil's like, yeah, what if we just break out of here? And it seems like a lot of them are just agreeing with it, except for one character in particular. Uh, we met this person back in our Bloodlines episode, uh, Neutron, who is now going by Newt. Uh, it is, it's a weird name transition. He um Newt here unfortunately does not want to be a part of this breakout. He feels like it's a it's appropriate for them to just stay here because mostly and 
rightfully so. The last time he was out, he states, he more or less almost destroyed Central City, all in an effort to come after the Flash. He's worried that if he leaves, his powers could probably, he could probably hurt himself with his powers since he doesn't have any understanding of them. Or worse, he might destroy Central City again because, again, he does not have any control over his powers. Uh, the rest of the team is not really wanting to hear that. So they decide that they're going to continue on with their plan to break out later tonight. Um, after that, we see a quick scene and which sets us up for what could possibly be some major conflict where a Zeta tube transmission of the parts of a Mezo have arrived being welcomed and signed for by Adam Strange and Eduardo Dorado Sr. So while that's brewing in the background, the kids go on, the runaways go on with their plan. And as they're about to leave, it's fitting because Neutron has the shiny bald head of Dom Toretto when he narks <laughs> on everybody, even though Dom never knocked on nobody, okay? Exactly. Don't snitch on family. <laughs> but Newt does. And he does. <laughs> so the, the kids are able to use their powers to knock out security. Here as we see that their powers aren't fully developed. They don't have a good handle on them, but just good enough to get them past security. And at the same time, coincidentally, there's a power outage. So conveniently for them, that's what allows them to get away. And I did like the little line Virgil said, it was like, did I cause that? And they were like, no, definitely not. <laughs> So the kids run away to a bus stop where they static steal some soda, but he discards it because it's not Red Bull. I mean, it's not Reach. And uh, so he gets rid of it. And this is where another one of their teammates develop powers as security comes to retrieve them. And there is a quick moment that does happen right before this, too, where Virgil does share a little bit about what the plan is for this for them being at the bus stop he shares that he wants to buy a ticket for everybody to head on over to dakota city so whoop whoop this is definitely our virtual hawkins there's no there's no like discrepancy about it um but he wants to head over to dakota city because he shares that he was actually taken he wasn't a runaway like the rest of them and how they were seeming about these abilities and these powers for the reason why they were taken because of the metagene. He was taken while he was waiting for his sister. He even shares that I have a really great relationship with my parents. I just wanted to get back home to them. So, and I'm pretty sure that my parents will definitely help you all out. So right now they're wiring me some money. And this is nice to see because it, we do get a chance to kind of hear how everybody came together where not everybody is technically a runaway. They are running away from this current situation they're in, but it does show that the reach isn't really just picking up random kids who people aren't going to miss. They are taking everybody showing the, that there is a point in which that the reach, the problem that they're causing is much larger than what we thought. So now that we're, plotting for this trip to Dakota City. Um, it doesn't seem like the bus is coming anytime soon. So Ty, who we got introduced to back as a friend of Jaime, um, who was also one of the Reach captives, he falls asleep. 
And we see that Sam is the one to alert them about the guards who all of them pull to fire, which is like, y'all need to calm down because majority of these kids were kids of color. Um, This is Mm. not the incident y'all want. Mm. Almost not a coincidence. But just when it looks like things are getting really bad, uh, Ty enters the Avatar Kaiju state. (laughs) <laughs> while sleeping and is able to form this huge being. Now, at the same time, Jaime was sent in to by Nightwing to get to the runaways because he knows Ty personally. He was hoping maybe Jaime could talk some sense into him. So the two intersect as the kaiju is running away, easily gets past the security it was not in the briefing as the lead security guy po- points out this was not in there so the kaiju tai gets everybody to the forest all his friends Jaime meets there too and he decides to pull a move from the live action flash and immediately give away his identity and hopes that it can make things better and in a way it does but it also leads to a pretty good argument as soon as i saw this i was like barry is this you? <laughs> <laughs> this argument leads into Jaime trying to convince the team, this runaway team here, that they should head on back to Star Labs. The four of them are just like, nah, we did that. We don't want to do that no more. We are being held against our will. We just all want to go home or at least be free to be able to do what we want. And honestly, I feel like all of this could have been solved. If they just let the kids go to like a Chuck E. Cheese or Dave and Buster's at least once during this whole training, like I get yeah. it, I get it. Like you know, they had their powers, you don't really know them, but at the same time, yeah, like just give them a little fun or something. What was that game, Hydro Crush or Ice Ice Crush or something? It was like you were riding on this like motorized wave. Oh yeah, <laughs> motor motor something. Well, I it think was, yeah, so, it was something like that. <laughs> That's all they needed. (laughs) Just give them. And, you know, you could tell that they're tired of it. They're tired of being held captive. So they don't want to go back to Star Labs. And Jaime, when he asked them, what's their idea? This is when Virgil speaks up and says, yo, we're going to Dakota City to see my family. And Jaime is like, "Okay, cool. So you're going to just go there and get up having your entire family murdered and taken or and or taken into custody because y'all wanted this kind of freedom. So he suggests an alternative, which does seem a bit weird, in which he states that he has his friend Green Beetle, who we met um, previously in the True Colors and the Fix episode, who was able to help quiet down the uh, uh, like the scarab that was attached to Jaime. So it's clear now that he's built this kind of bond with Green Beetle. Um, and just for those keeping track, this is about like an, a month and a half, I think, since we last saw this fix happen. So he says that he's willing to bring them over to Green Beetle because he might be able to help them get rid of their powers, which at one point Virgil states earlier, he actually does not want to cure, but people like Eldorado and Ty do are pretty vocal about trying to get rid of their abilities. Yeah, so it's it's a question of where is this the right move to to be on their own? or to try to take a chance with Jaime. But before they can decide, Red Volcano pops up to Star Labs to show up for Amazo. He wants to put his 
robot buddy back together. And in an intelligent move, he immediately destroys the boom tube. So nobody's coming urgently to save him. And since Flash and Impulse are too busy at the time, Blue Beetle is told by Nightwing to go and handle Red Volcano Solo, which is a tall order considering what he did last time and that it took a legit Justice League member to almost dying to stop him the first time. So tall order for him to do it by himself. But Beetle tries, and just um, right when Beetle gets there, he gets rocked immediately. So luckily, the Runaways, they had a conversation. They talked it amongst themselves. And they decided we're going to help Jaime get through this. So they show up to help fight Red Volcano in a battle that should have resolved in a lot more deaths. <laughs> Luckily, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, because um, quick shout out to the architectural team that was built Star Labs because your place may get invaded a lot, but y'all know how to build a strong building. And this is because during the fight, Jaime as Blue Beetle uh, uses his sonic cannon to create a sound wave to try and rip apart Red Volcano. This leads into, because of the fact that Star Labs is right behind Red Volcano, it starts to crumble a bit because of the sound waves is constantly hitting against the structure. The first person who's alerted to this is Virgil, who decides to come on up and state, hey, Y'all need to stop this battle right now, or at least in front of Star Labs, because there's still people in the building. But Blue Beetle doesn't seem to care, which is the first moment we see that this is very out of character for Blue Beetle, because he's definitely someone who does seem to have always cared about human life or life in general, meatbag or not. So this is what alerts Virgil to head on back to Ty and be like, yo, your friend is kind of going crazy and aggro here. And Ty defends it. He's just like, you know, he's trying to save everybody. So we need to cut him some slack while the rest of us go in and try to get everybody out. And it's very touching scene on a lot of parts in which um, where Blue Beetle, unfortunately, does get knocked to the side a bit. But in that moment, it gives Red Volcano a chance to enter, look for Maisel's body. And while he's doing so, um, he comes face to face with, Eduardo Dorado Sr. Yes. And this man reveals the smartest decision Star Labs ever made. Mm -hmm. He said, we didn't bring the Amazo head. Obviously, we have the body parts, but not the head, because we we knew this could happen one day. So without the head, Red Volcano sees no point for the senior. Luckily, his son, Spike, masters his teleportation abilities and gets his dad out of trouble. Elsewhere in the building, all the other runaways are doing what they can to save the innocents. There's even a moment where Virgil helps the security guard that face he was face-to-face with earlier that tried to bring him in. So you can see the, the sense of hero heroism underneath all of them, even despite how they've been treated. And although they are able to get everybody out in time, unfortunately, they haven't stopped Red Volcano yet who uses his earthbending skills to trap the runaways in stone hands. And he says, Jaime, look, 
I know you don't care about buildings, but you definitely care about meat bags. So uh, step off or I'm going to take them all out. And Jaime goes, all right. And immediately starts to attack Red Volcano. Yeah, I love that line. It was just like, this is a this is a stereotype that you shouldn't always follow as he's like completely blasting him. And we do see kind of like this crazy full set of Jaime's powers as Blue Beetle, especially this like chest cannon. Like you you would think it's like Tony, it'd be like a Tony Stark ripoff of Iron Man. But no, this was an actual cannon that he pulled from his chest. So it's making me very excited about what's going to happen in the live action one, because I would love to see that done like it's like proper CGI. <laughs> yes. Uh, this leads into the runaways deciding to break themselves out. So uh, we got an earlier scene in which Ty shows that he's finally learning and finally able to be in complete control of this, um, his avatar state kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he's able to break out that way. Dorado, he teleports out. Sam, she uses her ability to propel herself forward to create sonic vibrations to break herself out. And in an extra cool scene, which is we, I guess we just forgot to mention, uh, Virgil has been using a garbage can and or a uh, pothole cover as a way yeah. to transport himself to different places. So he uses his abilities to bring it towards him and shatter the hands that are holding him. And everybody, it's a really cool scene that we don't get a chance to really enjoy as much as we want because it immediately steps into everybody yelling at Ty, being like, yo, your friend was really about to sacrifice us. How well do you actually know him? And in that moment, we see that Ty himself is even questioning that something is wrong with Jaime as Blue Beetle decides to deliver the final blow to Red Volcano and his hatred of meat bags. Yeah, this is pretty dope. Uh, Jaime gets close enough to Red Volcano to drill a hole in him and then blast his internal workings with a sonic blast, which had proven to be effective against him. So with that, Red Volcano finally falls and Jaime, before he can really reconnect with his friends, a bunch of reporters just show up at Star Labs. Um, honestly, they should just stake out the place, the, the amount of stuff that happens there. <laughs> that, that's true. Very true. Um, and they get a lot of press attention. So meanwhile, the runaways decide, look, this seems like a good place to dip. So as they dip away to back to the bus station, they're met by Lex Luthor himself, who casually reveals yo Jaime's an agent of the reach so mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to trust that dude and I know you want to want to come back to Star Labs so you want to hang out you guys <laughs> want to get some pizza or something in my facility and I have to admit Lex is pretty smooth here you mm -hmm. really from here the kid's perspective I would be completely sold that yeah. <laughs> like this guy is in my corner See, Zordon, this is how you recruit teenagers with attitude. You, <laughs> you may have to put them through the ringer real quick, but on the bright side, I think they'll come to your side, especially if you promise them pizza. <laughs> so now that uh, Lex Luthor has taken the kids and the runaways to go somewhere else, this is when 
we hop on over to where Blue Beetle is having a conversation with Green Beetle. He shares that he's apologizing for the fact that he lost track of the kids. But the more that you hear them speaking, the more you realize that Green Beetle is saying things like, well, that's okay, because in the end, you were able to put yourself forward as the hero amongst the people. So I think that like, if we continue in this route, and this is where we see fully and truly that Blue Beetle has been turned into an agent of the Reach, because behind them is Black Beetle, the full-on enforcer of the Reach who shares with his now quote-unquote brothers that there's still much more that can be done. And especially because now it seems like the plans are going in the right direction since all of them are siding with the Reach. Yes. So now we have another betrayer in our midst as we head to an episode straight up titled War. Mm -hmm. Here we see Superman is defending himself at a trial He's got no Johnny Conklin in his corner, but he's got something even better. He's got Icon. Yes, he does. <laughs> Another good black lawyer. <laughs> and he's still trying to make his case that everybody was brainwashed, that they are peacekeepers, but the aliens are not really receptive to him at, at this point. And there's even aliens in the crowd like, why didn't they just pay off the judges? Like, just pay for the bribes and, like, be done with it. Um... And as the audience is sitting there looking at the superheroes, a viral tweet breaks out throughout the audience and reveals that the reach is on Earth. And everyone's kind of discussing, everyone's chattering about what this could mean about it. And John Stewart himself drops some crazy insight about how the reach operates. John Stewart reveals that Many millennia ago, the Reach got too powerful. They were getting to the point where they were taking over galaxies. And thankfully to some intervention by the Guardians of the Universe, they were able to stop the Reach from expanding any further. However, that meant that they had to sign a treaty because it came to, I believe, a bit of a standstill. And that treaty states that the Reach cannot take over a world unless they are invited in. So for some reason, shape, or form, we decide to give the Reach vampire abilities. Um, yeah. It's weird, but, you know, it turns into now that everybody's freaking out because even though the Justice League members don't know anything about the Reach, in fact, um, Martian Manhunter even states, like, who is the Reach? What, what, what's everybody all up in the fuss? It is causing a lot of fear because they realized that in which so many of the alien states, if the reach is on Earth, either the Earth is going to be destroyed very soon or the um, Earth is just no longer free. Like, there's no reason to go back to Earth. In fact, you might even might as well just pull everybody that you got on Earth, just pull them out if you can. And there is one person who's not content to wait on the sidelines and see sees what happens. And that is Mongol. He gets up out of the audience, walks to his ship, which happens to be a little smaller than the moon itself, the ship, the war world ship. And when he, as he approaches Earth and Nightwing, it's on Nightwing's radar and the rest of Justice League, um, Green Beetle is trans. Basically, he's the go-between guy now. 
between the two sides. And he explains that Mongol has this superiority complex. He failed to take over his world, which is apparently full of dictators <laughs> fighting for power. So he thinks that if he conquers everything else, his world will be like, you know what, Mongol, you are the ultimate conqueror, actually. So Mongol sees the Reach as a threat to his empire. So he decides, I'm going to take him that take them out myself. So that's his motivation for wiping out the Earth. As Karen and Mal, Karen and Mal's date night is interrupted by the arrival of the War World, and I'm there is a missed joke in this in this that I I can't forgive. Um, as Mal and Karen are heading out for date night, Mal of course is very excited about this. We don't know yet what is the living situation of Mal Duncan still. Uh, but he is very excited that he's able to take his girl out on a date and she just stops walking as he seems to be very upset over the fact that it seems like she's just ignoring him, which he feels constantly happens. And it's because she's looking up at the sky at Earth's second moon. And this is why I was pissed, because here was the perfect opportunity to drop a Star Wars joke. Yeah. <laughs> That, yes, would have been cheesy. But I think that we would have all appreciated Mal turning around being like, that's no moon. Yeah, some kind of... Don't worry. Unfortunately, this trend will continue throughout the episode of questionable Mal things. <laughs> but the important thing we need to focus on here is that when the war world arrives, I love this little detail, tidal waves start because mm -hmm. it affects the Earth's gravity. Um, I really did love that little detail into it. And the Reach makes a public announcement that, oh, we only have one ship and it doesn't have any weapons. Oh, no. So I guess everybody <laughs> else is going to have to help, which we know is blatantly not true because we saw their fleet underwater. And in an attempt to avoid a further conflict, the Justice League tries to negotiate with Mongol, but he says no. And not only does he say no, he said, if you understood what you were in for with the reach, you'd thank me for destroying you now. My, and just imagine that in Keith David's voice. I'm not even going to attempt it. You have to listen to it. Because when you hear that, you're like, I guess you have to blow up Earth. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, and it's a running thing too, where Mongol does state things about mercy. It's a little comic book connection to that to, there too, which I'll talk about later. But because Mongol has decided to open up the entire war world's armory, he releases first a giant laser that is going to head to a main point of Earth to destroy entirely. Thankfully, with the skills of magic, Nobu himself dr fate pops through uh and is able to create a portal that upon receiving the blast of the laser sends it right back to destroy it knocking out a key piece of technology on war world but that still leaves the lasers the missiles um the several bits of like technology that's in throughout the entire war world and now we see the organization of different teams. So 
we first see that starting the onslaught onto War World, we have Dr. Fate. Thankfully, with the help of Rocket, Justice League member Rocket, she's able to create a bubble around Fate, so he's able to focus on protecting the Earth, while heroes like Captain Adam, Captain Marvel, Shazam are able to create some battle damage onto many of the lasers and missiles that are on War World, leading to our team, our Young Justice team, creating a four-squad split where Alpha Squad uh, will be heading over to face Mongol himself. Beta Squad will be heading over to take out the energy that's being provided into War World. And then Gamma Squad will be heading towards a crystal, which was um, talked about by Green Beetle, that apparently is also providing energy and actually is the locking mechanism for War World. And it's a nice little beat here because each single team states, if we just do this, the threat will be neutralized. And I like that moment in which we are talking through the team and they're all explaining their roles and responsibilities. But at the end, they understand that there is this common goal that they must focus on. Yeah, it's a great split. and But it does reveal a rather curious choice because Nightwing doesn't come on this mission. <laughs> hmm. he, he decides to quarterback it from the, the Watchtower so instead of Nightwing, we get Mal. Mal is here on the mission. <laughs> and while Mal is here on the mission, he, he starts talking about Karen and their relationship, starts using the warm planet at War World as a metaphor for their relationship. And he's like, he, she's like, can you not do this? We're on a mission. He's like, well, then when are you not on a mission? Which is the point where as Karen, I would have been like, I can't have somebody this fragile with mm -hmm. me um but elsewhere there are little cracks in the the teams that they have formed for example with roy when he's using his weapons he's kind of using them rather recklessly and he's on a team with superboy uh wonder girl and wolf so none of them are hurt but superboy is like can you please watch where you're going can you give me a warning and he's like there's your warning so we get roy still regressing a little bit but now the main alpha team goes to attack Mongol. And I do respect that <laughs> that Roy was considered Arsenal. Roy slash Arsenal was considered alpha team material to take on Mongol. <laughs> Word. After I guess after the work he was putting in <laughs> against Lex, they were like, yo, you're A team material, bro. And they try to rush him, but it quick Mongol quickly proves that nothing, nothing is working. He's insulting the Kryptonians. He's batting around Wonder Girl and Wolf. And he even goes that the novelty of this encounter has worn off. As he gets hit with a sleep gas arrow, he inhales it and says, that smells like victory. <laughs> Yo, I need to know what it smells like for real, though. Like, what does victory smell like? Is it like lavender? Is it a eucalyptus? I need to know. Something very calming, I assume. Yeah, it's like chamomile. <laughs> um, and as I mentioned, there was a four-team uh, four split within this team here. So we got the squad, Delta Squad, where Batgirl and Robin are using the camouflage bio ship to lay cover fire for the Justice League members while also creating enough of a distraction so that the rest of the team can go through. As we see that uh, Blue Beetle 
Impulse and Beast Boy are on their own journey to find this crystal key chamber. Unfortunately, they they do come face to face with the defense systems of War World. If you ever see these things, they're like for our Sims players out there, the little gems that are on top of your Sim. And for our Mega Man Battle Network players out there, they look like the little <laughs> coins that you get when you're traversing through the um, the internet. So that's the best way I can describe it. However, these are very violent because not only do they just keep the ship running, um, they also provide cover fire and act as a bit of an antibody. So while Beast Boy, Impulse, and Blue Beetle are just taking this on, our other team, our other squad here with um, Mal, who is now Guardian, um, Bumblebee, and Super Cycle, they are taking on this hit as well as they're heading deeper and deeper into the energy source of the um, of the ship itself, the power core, which leads into a great moment, actually, where as they're heading up, Mal is having a bit of a time of his life, mainly because he's getting a chance to ride a super cycle, but obviously he is using this to constantly come at Karen, talking about how you know she's not really seeing him as a part of their relationship anymore. It feels like even that maybe she's outgrowing him. And he's quite upset about that. Um, but most importantly, he feels that because Karen is always into, and I say this, I paraphrase it, she's into all the science stuff that he must look like an idiot to her, which Karen is just like, we're not even talking about this right now because we're <laughs> in legit in the middle of a murderous war world. Yeah, and this is uh their argument does spur something, but before I get to that, I do want to mention that on Earth, the Reach is surveying how much damage it is, and basically they crunch numbers that Dr. Fate can take out some missiles, that the Earth's defenses can take out others, but ultimately there's stuff that's gonna get through. So in a very weird scene, the Reach goes. Well, if too many people die, we're going to spoil the meat. So <laughs> that's that's how they see humanity. So they all work, the reach sends out their fleet. They apparently lose two thirds of their fleet doing this. But I don't know if that's droned or manned or whatever. Mm. Um, we also get a quick news segment where they're like, can't evacuate, nowhere to go. So as the world is using pulling out all the final stops to get saved, um, Karen and Mal are arguing. And during the argument, Karen is trying to untangle these wires, un figure out the power, but she can't do all the powers because there's too many fail safes. So Mal says, reroute it somewhere else. And Karen gets the idea to reroute it straight into Mongol's war chair. Yes, and it's good timing, too, because our heroes were down for the count for a bit. They um, are alpha squad here, where each of them were just, it looks like they were just napping because of how hard that Mongol was hitting them. And as Mongol is ready to unleash more of his firepower, this is where we see that the entire chamber here lights up, including his chair, sending a shocking electrical impulse to his head, knocking him out of the chair having him stagger through. He doesn't know where he's going. And this leads into Superboy saying the phrase, 
get him back up because I'm going to knock him down. Yeah, Team Alpha just jumping Mongo. Oh, my <laughs> God. This was nasty. Like, I have never seen, like, every single one of those, like, fight memes that you see on TikTok, uh, you you actually are War World star on this one. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Nicely done. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. So now that Mongol is down for the count, uh, Wonder Girl, she heads on over with her rope. She They hog tie him up. And the mission is complete on very different ends, thankfully, all at the same time. So with the chamber being uh, knocked out of power, thanks to Bumblebee, this leads into a bit of a comforting moment for Mal because, you know, he she Bumblebee is able to look at him and say, like, you really helped out a lot. And the other key part that happens is that Black, uh, Blue Beetle is able to get the key from the chamber, thankfully, because with the help of Impulse and Beast Boy, as they head on over to their, I believe it, they're still, I'm, I'm, I'm actually unsure where they were, like where they met up to congregate to head back over because after uh, Nightwing calls them in for a job well done, they decide to meet back up the rendezvous point so they could all be picked up by the Bioship. Yep, and because things don't come easy in this universe, uh, Blue immediately... Well, I do have to mention this before we get to that. Um, after Karen says, Hey, Mal, you know what? I Maybe I've taken you for granted and kisses him. <laughs> um, Roy also chimes in, How do I get that reward? And Cassie gives him a kiss on the cheek. Don't know how that was earned. Um, but at this <laughs> nice moment, Blue Beetle decides to betray everyone immediately and is able to use his use the suit to knock people out in various ways, except for our boy Roy, who is like, I am not going back. I'm not going back <laughs> and opens up a damn hole to the middle of space itself using a rebreather to stay alive. And stays away from Blue Beetle. Yo, if will you look up self-preservation in the dictionary? There's a picture of Roy Harper right there. Because, yes, my man does take this as an opportunity to escape, even though many of his teammates were like, don't, don't do that. Don't open the door to space. Don't blast away at things. If we work together, we can get this job done. Um... And unfortunately, little by little, everyone is getting knocked out. I do love this like really cool scene in which Blue Beetle, when attacking Superboy and Wonder Girl, who are both walking in with the unconscious body of Mongol, Blue Beetle heads up and knocks Superboy out, but is able to catch Mongol one-handed and uses this as an opportunity to lightly push him up so that he falls on top of Wonder Girl, knocking her out as well. This leads into so much more damage um, because it's like so much of the team are still trying to fight back too. Yeah, it's so it's so smart. But unfortunately, even though people get a few hits, Tim Drake even manages to scrape Blue Beetle with a, a Bertarang, as I found that it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> He doesn't succeed ultimately in taking him down. So Roy is the only one who escapes Blue Beetle's onslaught. And that is the down note we end on going into complications. 
So we open up with this now, again, a very complicated scenario. When we last left off with our before, our before the dawn um, set of episodes, we saw that Miss Martian had been captured by Deathstroke and Tigress, who was actually Artemis in disguise, to come back and heal Calder. So as we remember, as we last left off, Calder was unfortunately hit by a full-on psychic blast by Miss Martian because she thought that he killed Artemis. But during the blast, it was revealed that he actually has been playing along to try to get deeper into the light under deep covers through using this connection that he has with his father, who is Black Manta. Um, so now that we see that we're in the Atlantic Ocean, we see that this journey of Miss Martian trying to heal Calder is still going on. And we see Deathstroke kind of looking in the progress, which he gives an update to Black Manta. But as we hop on back, we see that actually Artemis is still helping, trying to figure out what to do while Miss Martian is playing, pretending that she's helping to heal Calder because Calder has been healed for quite some time. He has his wits back about him, and this entire time, he's just been staring blankly at the wall to put up appearances to try to figure out a way to save Miss Martian. Yeah, it, it's an impressive tactic. Um, and, you know, they reveal it's a stall tactic. Mm -hmm. They really don't have a better option right now uh, except to stall this out. And they're wondering aloud, how long can we really pull this off? That's when on cue Black Manta comes in and says, you have 24 <laughs> hours to fix my son or you die. Also, if you do it, you'll probably die anyway. So either way, Mr. Martian is dead in this scenario. Um, so as they kind of contemplate what their options are, we cut back to the war, 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 war. God, that's a tug twister. Really war is. world <laughs> where Blue Beetle is with Nightwing. And Blue Beetle is completely lying. He's saying, look, I was here in the war world and a boom tube opened up under us and sucked in everybody. I got away because I leaped up. I was the first one to think about flying, even though there are other people in there that can't fly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they say, yeah, traces of boom tube activity are here and there's no real sign of the battle that happened except for one lone a piece of evidence we come up to later and as they're trying to figure out and assess what happened they also announced that they have a guards posted round the clock at the chamber to power war world so that nobody can activate it so while they're trying to unravel this mystery it's revealed that two people in the the brief window where deathstroke can't see the manta they have snuck onto the Manta, and these two people are my favorite duo, mm -hmm. Sportsmaster and Chester. And you know what Sportsmaster is here to do. <laughs> exactly. He's going to be here to protect his rep. I don't care if you killed my daughter. I'm going to protect my rep because it's how I am seen. And that is a direct quote from Sportsmaster because he is ready to take down Black Manta. Of course, he's like, you know what? If you want to, Cheshire, you can you can take on um Aqualab, but you know, if you if you don't, he can get the work too. <laughs> it's it's a great scene. Um, because again, it is these two are just 
so many just so great characters um that i've honestly over this season i've grown to love <laughs> i i'm i'm biased now like anytime <laughs> i see these two together i'm i'm in it already i'm yeah. sold take my money <laughs> so they decide to enter into the manta they go through the airlock and then they're able to figure out the exact path to get to to find out where everybody is so we know that black manta is in his own chambers while calder is in the um is in his chambers being um healed by mcgann this they decide to split up so we have that sportsmaster um you thankfully using vents throughout the ship which I'm still trying to figure out is that if that makes sense to have vents on the underwater ship. Uh, <laughs> you gotta ask some ocean guys. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so they, he heads on over to Black Manta's chamber while Cheshire makes her way over to um, where Aqualad is at. And this is where things start to unravel unbeknownst to each side of the party because in this moment, they... We have Calder, we have Miss Martian, and we have Artemis, who's now Tigris. They've all decided to come up with this plan that will require uh, Tigris to head on out and relieve the the room while somebody else goes in and somehow Artemis is going to try to find some way to free McGann. Yeah, but this plan falls apart immediately because Cheshire comes in, throws a knife, I got to give it to Aqualad because he stayed catatonic Word. while the knife was thrown, which was absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Megan has telepathic power, so she tries to reach out to Cheshire through the mental link, but her collar is turned on again. So she can't reach out to her, to Cheshire and reveal the truth because she's still being watched on camera. So And she can't say it aloud because, again, camera. Mm-hmm. So now... To make things even more, because things aren't good enough right now, Sportsmaster reveals that he brought a large ball and chain and is using it to take Manta down. And this battle is incredible. Sportsmaster's little tricks, Black Manta's equipment, it is on site immediately. At one point, Black Manta pulls out exploding chakram that are light grenades too come on now and now at the same time we have Cheshire back in the room who is absolutely willing to kill a comatose person and this is where the the writing gets so clever here because at one point Miss Martian gets her hands on a gun and from the outside looking in she can't let Calder die because that means her death too so her defending Calder is completely in character. And while in character, she takes out the camera with the gun, leaving, leaving Aqualad the chance to reveal, hey, Artemis is still alive, and I'm fine too. And Chester's like, yeah, yeah, right, and turns <laughs> the knife on him. Meanwhile, we head on back to War World, where Nightwing is continuing his investigation. Thankfully, he was trained by Batman in detective skills on this, because little by little, as he is going through the different areas of it, he notices that there's scratches and things are broken. Like He notices that there are scratches on the floor, which are definitely some signs of battle or something from Blue Beetle. 
Um, he also notices that the the airlock was damaged. So again, this is him questioning. If it seems like people were just suddenly transported out of nowhere through a boom tube, why was the airlock destroyed? And as he heads on over, this is where he does see the Birdarang. And upon scanning it, he sees the uh the I don't know, I don't really know what to call them. The uh the little <laughs> little I thought they were antibodies, but I guess it still makes sense. But there are pieces of Blue Beetle's armor, like the actual little <laughs> insect versions of it that we saw when they were going inside of his body. They're on the surface of the Birdarang. So he Nightwing quickly deduces that for some reason this Birdarang hit Blue Beetle, even though everybody was supposed to be falling through a boom tube that no one was able to escape from except Blue Beetle. Like, come on. Yeah, and he knows Batman doesn't tolerate you just throwing your Birdarang willy-nilly. So mm-hmm. he knows something something is up. And I also have to give respect to my man Robin for falling silently like 20 feet like <laughs> and landing completely silent during this investigation. That's just little things like that just get me. Back on the ship, McGann is now gaining her power back. Um, So now we're really getting getting to it meanwhile tigress things are going crazy on the ship because tigress also stumbles in on the battle between sportsmaster and her dad and now she has to fight her dad in the middle of everything and right before black manta arrives blows up the room door mcgann says all right enough and connects everybody's brains and is now dropping the truth about what's going on. She reveals everybody's identities one by one and then shows them, hey, look, Artemis is Tigris. Like, they're in this mental place where they can see everything. And Cheshire immediately buys it. She says, I feel the presence of my sister. But (laughs) Swordsmaster does not believe it he believes his rep is still damaged. <laughs> so the only way to prove it is that they have to go back to fighting in the real world where Artemis uses a fighting move and he's like, ha, ha, I taught my little girl that. Guess you're alive. <laughs> oh, I just want to say real quick, too. I, th- I just thought it was really funny that during the scene in which they're in the mindscape, um, Ms. Martian was intentional in making sure that Calder has some clothes on. So- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I was just like, he has been naked this entire time. Why would in the mindscape did you think it was now the time to give him a shirt? <laughs> but as Sportsmaster finally is revealed to him that his daughter is alive and well, his baby girl is good because that's what he keeps calling her. Um, there is some funny moments in which it's just like Sportsmaster's like, oh, so you out here trying to play the light for suckers. Oh, okay, I got you. I see what you do with <laughs> game peeps game. So he decides to team up with finding a way for them to continue <laughs> with this espionage <laughs> tactic in which Artemis tells him to head back over to the control room because she was in there earlier and was able to hit the button to turn off McGann's call, turn off McGann's collar. Um, so he heads on back there, throws a bomb so that it destroys any trace of the control room and her actions while she was in there. Meanwhile, yeah. Black Manta is finally able to make his way over to Calder's room. Um, 
RIP to the to the Manta men that were here because they were like, yo, we got a we got a bomb's gonna be able to cut through the door. Black Manta was just like, we don't have enough time for this. <laughs> he just explodes it, killing them all, assumingly. Oh yeah. Yeah, they took too long. <laughs> um so as they get in, McGann is has Aquila, has Cheshire against the wall, has Black Manta, and McGann is going to make moves to kill both of them. Uh, you know, playing pretend. And that's when Aqualad miraculously comes back to life and saves his dad, causing McGann and Cheshire to run away. And his dad is over the moon that Aqualad made the save, saved his own pap, pappy just in time. And, but unfortunately, the fighting is not quite over yet because as they're trying to make their way out, uh, get Sportsmaster and Cheshire off, Deathstroke shows up. So you, I, I'm I'm having too good of a time here because now we got Deathstroke in the mix trying to complete the mission. Tigress is there. So Tigress and Cheshire are able to bond while they're fighting uh, in a funny moment. And Deathstroke is putting in the Lord's work because Deathstroke single-handedly almost wipes everybody <laughs> off the board. <laughs> but luckily, McGann shows up to buy them some time, but then again, still, still, Deathstroke is able to turn the tables on McGann and almost best her, but luckily Tigris interferes, buying McGann enough time to slip away and Sportsmaster and Cheshire to escape with all while preserving their secret identities. It's... This has just been a wonderful time of this whole entire <laughs> adventure here. Um, so now that everybody is able to escape, we it's now time for everybody to head on back to their homes. We first thing that we see is we open up to Gotham City, where Jade is returning home to pick up her daughter, who she left with her mother. Um, and this is where her mom is telling her, like, you know. She's still grieving about Artemis because unlike the rest, pretty much everybody now at this point, (laughs) she doesn't know that Artemis is still alive. And she's telling Jay to cherish the moments that you have with your daughter because the future is just so uncertain and is such a nice scene because it immediately pans to her looking at a picture of Artemis. And as she states this, this is when Jay is just like, she hasn't provided much for her mother over the years, but what she can do is provide a moment of solace as she shares that she has some news about Artemis, some really good news, in fact. So we're left to assume that now her mother now knows that Artemis is alive. Meanwhile, Black Manta decides to present some better news of his as he's on a call with Vandal Savage and the Reach Ambassador proclaiming now that his son has been restored and that the shock of seeing his father about to die rose my boy up and had him defend his family's (laughs) honor. (laughs) The ego on this man is out of control. Word. (laughs) Word. I mean, I think we said it before. I think that Black Manta is a true, proud Black father. (laughs) (laughs) There is no question. This man is very proud of his son and but you know the warm and fuzzy feelings are interrupted by the fact that he is a terrible person who just killed <laughs> tons of people and would have killed again 
but so as we see these happy family reunions, um, we see at, on Earth that the Reach is championing Blue Beetle as this as Earth's greatest hero. They even have him remove his uh, mask, and that with Nightwing looking at the Birdarang, he snaps it in half because he realizes he's being played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is. It's shocking to see, especially because we never want to see Nightwing get hurt. So as we head on over to provide Nightwing some circus tickets for a well-deserved night off, here's a podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, so we have gone through our set of episodes here today. We've had Runaways, we've had War, and we had Complications. Out of the batch from 14 to 16 of Invasion, which of these episodes are you giving the most whelm to? I, I, you know, I do reporting as a side job, so I do need to, to um, confess my bias here, because if it has Sportsmaster in it, I'm down. <laughs> Complications is my most loved episode. But besides that, uh, you know, you have this very, very fun villains um, with very clear motivations. But from Black Manta to Deathstroke to Sportsmaster to The Reach, you have these very clear villains painted out. Um, you're not ever wondering, like, is this really worth this kind of response kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So every villain is painted clearly. There's a lot of fun action and interplay um, with McGann's powers, especially, and when she has them and when she doesn't is a very fun mix. Um, a lot of great chemistry and physical work between the characters and this ongoing mystery of Blue Beetle and the feeling that they're getting closer to unraveling it. So all of those things just make for a really great episode that pushes forward the plot, gives us some closure, and you know, gets us one step closer to a big confrontation. Mm-hmm. As much as I like Keith David's Mongol, I can't really relate to his motivations and maldrack down that episode. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, if those two things would have been fixed, I think that could have been a contender as well for me. But what about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree. Um, I'm all in for complications. Um, I will say that war was a very close second for me. But complications just kind of blew it out of the water because of the fact of that scene in which Artemis reconnects with her family. Um, You know, it wasn't necessary, to be honest, if you really think about the grand scheme of things. But it is some of the, like, the most wonderful moments of this show that I've always enjoyed. Because here it is that it's just like, you know, Artemis is able to provide some kind of peace for her family. We, We tend to forget that Artemis does have a very strong legacy in the super game. I'm not going to say hero because, you know, it's it's three for four <laughs> right now of super villains to hero. Um, so the fact that we got a chance to see these villains who were always accustomed to being like, we're, we're okay with like 
things getting lost. We're okay with fighting. We're okay with death. For them to actually portray scenes in which they're like kind of channeling how they're dealing with Artemis's death in their own ways, where it's like Cheshire is definitely going to want to kill um, the person who who um, who killed her sister. Sportsmaster is going after the man who destroyed his rep. Um, you know, it's just all these like, and also her mother just kind of like being this person who has experienced life and is just realizing how short it is now because unfortunately she lost the use of her legs as well as the fact now losing her daughter to this game. You get a chance to see these dynamics play out really well. And for Artemis to come back and be like, I'm here. I haven't forgotten about y'all. Here I am. It's wonderful and comforting. Even with the scene of like <laughs> Sportsmaster being like, oh my gosh, I taught you that move. You really are my baby girl, even though you just mollywop my face. <laughs> yeah, I, I one thing I do love about this episode in particular is the the contrast between Black Manta and Sportsmaster as parents, mm-hmm. where Sportsmaster is not loving through his words, especially, you know, yeah. talking about his rep all the time. But through his actions, you can see because once he finds out Artemis is there, he instantly changes his tune, works with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all the things he's saying verbally are just an excuse to not show outward affection. But by his actions, you can see how far he's willing to go for his baby girl. Right. So it's a very, very great um, dichotomy. Whereas Black Manta, he says he loves Calder. He dushes about Calder. He He's like, oh, look at my son, which he, I'm so proud of him. But by his actions, when you look at what he's done for Calder, and what he continues to do for his son. You know, for example, when he blew up that door, that mm-hmm. could have easily blown up Calder. He didn't know what kind of situation his son was in at the time. So even though he says he loves him, his actions paint a very different picture uh, because they're so erratic. And right. because he's also giving his son to an alien conqueror and saying, look, here he is. So, you know, it's it's such an interesting relationship between these parents and seeing that Sportsmaster might be a, the, one of the better dads in this entire <laughs> show. <laughs> and it's when you also, you just made me also think about the fact that like those two things with like um, Sportsmaster's quest for for rep respect and also Black Manta trying to heal the son. Those are the B plots really of the major story of what's going on. Like they do take up a lot of time and they are spanning through different episodes, but it shows how well this was written out because here it is that it's just like, we don't even, I remember in those moments, I didn't even care about the fact that Blue Beetle had just betrayed the team anymore. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah that happened. But right now I want to see Sportsmaster finally reconnect with his daughter. And restore his rep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's again, not to say that, um, the Blue Beetle stuff wasn't interesting in this mm-hmm. case. It is very interesting and very cool to see them getting closer to it. Right. But the fact is that they they balance it so well where it's just enough and where we feel like they're pushing forward on it and still have enough to chew on until they really break into it and get down to what's going on with Blue Beetle. Yeah, which I think did happen a little bit um, with our early stages in war because... You know, it was a very shocking scene to see. I think the reason why I am, um, why I felt like War was a very good contender for our most whelmed is because it does provide a brief reset in a way. One, 
it does remind us that the Justice League does exist in this universe. <laughs> we are like more than halfway through the season. Um, so it was shocking to see that it was just like, here's a reminder that the Justice League are actually dealing with this whole thing of like, if the cape fits, you must acquit. Um, <laughs> so now, and we also get a chance to see that the heroes are being brought back in a bit of a positive light because in this episode, the Reach does have to reveal the full extent of their invasion. They have to, they, they lied about the fact that they didn't have other ships out there. And here it is that, yes, you saved the world and you didn't have weapons on your ship. But at the same time, how is it you were able to pull a massive fleet and willingly sacrifice two thirds of your army to, and then say, you know, you didn't have this at all. So I'm very much excited to see the next stages of this because i know my boy g gordon godfrey is gonna have definitely have to say something about this now like come on it's mm -hmm. it's we saw it we saw that they the reach has been lying to us this entire time about what they've been doing and um i also gotta give respect to mongo because even though he is a bit of a um a one-off character here um i think he does come back at some point later on in this season and maybe for future seasons it does seem like he is like a big bad of the week kind of character but he does bring a lot of ferocious energy to these scenes like the way he was wailing on superboy and then the rest of alpha squad um i would love to learn more about like you know he was stating things like you think you're the only being from a red sun like that creates mm. a sense of like we're adding a bit more to the mythos of what is capable from these different cosmic like abilities throughout the galaxy so for war i had to give it it's you know not most whelmed but like it is whelmed adjacent <laughs> it was whelmed adjacent for me yeah uh, i think in a normal week you know it it really could take it but there's just so much satisfaction you get from watching um complications that mm -hmm. it, it just it just it grabs you <laughs> Uh, and um, speaking of war, uh, the reason why I really wanted to bring it up because it is a bit of our conversation in terms of comic books because uh, I do want to give Mongo a little bit of light. Uh, I think this is going to, again, this is like his one of two appearances throughout this season. Um, I am feeling like I do want to talk about the Runaways team a little bit later on, but today it just felt like, you know, this is probably the last time we're actually going to get to experience him as much. Uh, also, because war was technically, so probably, this is an unconfirmed fact, but was supposed to be the original idea for the premiere of Young Justice. Oh, that would have been a wild opening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to, again, the whole goal of creating Young Justice was to bring forward the team of sidekicks in a way that would make sense for them to band together and create this elite team in this way. And war was one of the ideas that they brought up because they felt that by having the team invade war world in this way, they would have given the, the necessary cause for them to band together. However, with some time, they just felt that it was too big of a story to tell in just like two episodes. Um, so they decided to scrap the idea. Thankfully, though, it was picked up in season two as another story and plot point for the series. Yeah, it works perfectly here, especially when you're more invested in the team. You know their mm -hmm. dynamics. 
Um, especially, you know, e even without saying it, when, you know, Blue Beetle gets Impulse, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, which I'm sure they'll explore more in depth later, just that that gut punch of like impulse yeah. came to stop this very thing from happening but unfortunately history is repeating itself mm -hmm. yeah so i'm excited to see that too because i do want to see it's also you know now that you say it like that i guess roy did make the smart choice of not getting captured again seeing as it's going to be the second or third time now that impulse and beast boy have been captured i want to make things some something clear right now i did not blame roy for what he did <laughs> All right. Like I Roy is not wrong. All right. Roy was right. <laughs> like that that was the move to make in this situation. Absolutely. Oh my God. Well, we're I don't know. I'm still on the fence because mainly because it was just like, my dude, you didn't need to open the airlock at least. Like he abandoned everybody. I love I yo, Roy MVP. You won you won me back, Roy. <laughs> Oh man. Well, while we figure out where Roy is, um, here's a little bit about Mongol and Warworld, the place he left behind. <laughs> uh, so Mongol was first introduced in November of 1980, back in uh, DC Comics number 27 by Jim Starlin and Len Wein. Uh, so Mongol first meets Superman when he kidnaps uh, Lois, Jimmy, and Steve Lombard. I think we remember Steve Lombard as that over misogynistic dude back in uh, uh one of the superman and batman crossovers <laughs> yes yes so mongol um thankfully this episode does a great job in giving us a lot of what's involved around mongol and his story so mongol forces superman to steal a key to activate war world because as he stated in the episode he is a dictator who lost uh the power of his of his world and he's now on the journey to capture it back by trying to go around and capture different galaxies to show his power um you know of course because of comic books our man of tomorrow superman finally defeats mongol with the help of supergirl but mongol would continue to be a fearsome threat throughout the galaxy because later on he came he comes back by under the writing direction of jeff ordway in the Adventures of Superman number 454. This was released in uh, May of 1989. And this is when he actually becomes the leader of War World. He's the, the king. He's the dictator. He is whatever you want to call it. He's in charge. Um, so while he's there, Superman is forced to engage in like gladiator-like battles on War World. Because at this point, I believe this is when the universe was rebooted a bit. So War World is now basically, um, you know the world of gladiator and superman is here as russell crow <laughs> are you not entertained <laughs> he even grows the beard for him too <laughs> uh so this is actually one of the most looked into appearances of war world if you want to see more honestly if you head back in time to the game superman returns which is a video game based off of the movie of brandon ralph uh, there is a whole story dedicated to Superman getting captured and fighting Mongol on War World. And I remember this because I still have it on the Xbox. Why wasn't that the movie? <laughs> I'm I'm saying, like, honestly, yo, this is why right now, James Gunn, I know you're doing a lot of work on whatever you're doing for Superman Legacy, but like, I know we got a lot of people on the casting list. So I hope one of them is Mongol and we do a little bit of this story here. 
But yes, yeah, so a Mongol will continue being a leader on Warworld until he died by the hands of Neron, a ruler of hell in DC Comics. He was killed off in the Underworld Unleashed story in 1995. This is when Neron wanted to come through and be like, hey, Mongol, join my side. Mongol was just like, no, because I'm still fighting for my own leadership. And Neron killed him. Um, and if you're wondering why that name might sound familiar, it might tickle something in the back of your brain. Uh, this is because this is the name and is the same character of the season four Big Bad in Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. I remember that, dude. Yes. <laughs> uh, so now that that Mongol has died, a new Mongol must come up in this place. And this is Mongol 2. This is the son of our Mongol here. Uh, he decided to continue on his father's quest for power to the point where he actually became a Yellow Lantern because of the fear that he instilled with the power of Warworld. Unsure about his whereabouts today because some stories tell us that apparently he was thrown into the core battery of the Yellow Lanterns, where he is still to this day. Of course, because comics get rebooted and whatnot, Mongol has returned. Um, he is in the New 52 story arc, I believe now, or and has continued on as more of a presence that is somewhere in some Superman comic. Not much you could tell about him because obviously we didn't get many stories about him. But, you know, he's still enough of a big bad that I feel like he should get some cred in whatever universe might um, allow him in now. Because there have been many stories in which he is facing off against many Justice Leaguers. He is the leader, again, of Warworld that has fought many battles, defeated the Justice League sometimes, many times. Unfortunately, again, because of comics, um, he won the battle, but he lost the war. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that is it. That's a brief uh intro about Mongol. Again, he doesn't have that many like deep stories. There's some cool things. So, as I mentioned, he does have a from his conversations, the way he speaks, it seems like he might have a twisted idea about what mercy is. And this is because uh Mongol uses something called black mercy, which is this like parasitic thing that when attached to your body, it creates your perfect world while slowly killing you. And if it sounds familiar, this is a pull right from the comic of what do you get from the man who has everything, a Superman story, which was also adapted in the Justice League series, animated series. And Supergirl. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that's it. That's um, that wraps up our episodes here for 14 through 16 war and peace. Um, so uh, with that, I just want to say be sure to check us out on our social medias and our Patreon account um, if you want some more content. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves. And remember, if you got a relationship issue with your partner, try communicating with outside remarks and definitely not on the mission while trying to save the world. And if you get on the wrong side of Sportsmaster and he comes to protect his rep, I mean... You're probably going to die. Just uh, <laughs> don't, don't piss off Sportsmaster is the lesson. Thanks again for listening. Yet another DC animated podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. 
If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod. 